6. We got down to verse 9, but you have to read verse 8 to get the connection. Psalm 66, and we will read verse 8. And this is a call for God's people to praise Him, beginning here in the rest of the chapter, rest of this psalm. <clears throat> You'll notice verse 8 says, O bless our God, ye people, and make the voice of His praise to be heard. So God is to be blessed and praised by all of us. And God's people should let their praise be heard to Him. And He's the one that really needs to hear our praise. He can hear our praise in private, or He can hear our praise in public. He can hear our praise from our heart. He can hear our praise with our voice. And uh, in verse uh, 9 it says, "...which holdeth our soul in life, and suffereth not our feet to be moved." God's uh, people should praise Him for His divine protection. It says, which holdeth our soul in life. And God is the one that protects us. Remember, Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. And He said that He holds us in His hand. And He says, My Father that is greater than all holds them in His hand. And He says, I and my Father are one. Divine protection. And suffereth not our feet to be moved. He sets us in a solid place. He gives us security. And then God's people are tried and proven in verse 10. For thou, O God, hast proved us. Thou hast tried us as silver is tried. Proved us. God will prove us and find out who we are and what we are. He puts us to the test. And he finds out if it's true grit or not, doesn't he? He finds out what we have. And we don't have to have some man to do the trying because the Lord is able to put us through the furnace of fire and trials. Uh, Peter says that if need be, though now for a season you're in manifold temptations. He says that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire. And Peter says it if need be, and sometimes it needs to be for us. He says, might be found under praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. So when Christ appears, the proving and trying that we've gone through will come to surface and we'll see why. We'll know why. Have you ever asked yourself the question, I don't understand why God is permitting this to happen in my life or the life of my family? Well, you may not understand now, but we used to sing the song, we'll understand it better by and by, won't we? And that's uh, what we have to be patient and wait for the coming of the Lord. And then we'll know why so many things have, that we've had to face. Look in verse 11. We'll find it says something here. Thou, thou broughtest us into the net. Thou broughtest us into the net. You see, God's people like fish are brought into the gospel net. And it's God who brings us into the net. Thou latest affliction upon our loins. Sometimes the afflictions have caused us to to be brought into the net. In Psalm 119, you have several times over where it says uh, that the Lord hath afflicted me. I know that it was for uh, in faithfulness God hath afflicted me. It says, Before I was afflicted I went astray, but now I have kept thy word or thy law. And then he says in one place, It is good for me, O Lord, that I have been afflicted. Someone has to really come to grips with it before he will say it's good for me that I've been afflicted, doesn't it? 
But God puts us through various trials. It says in verse 12, Thou hast caused men to ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water, but thou broughtest us out into a wealthy place. Look at that. Thou hast caused men to rise right over our heads. The enemy seemed to tread us down. And then it says, We went through fire and through water. But it says, But thou broughtest us out into a wealthy place. God's people are brought through various trials and afflictions and are brought into a wealthy place. In Isaiah 43, verse 2, it says, When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee, and through the rivers they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. doesn't say if. Most of us have been through the fires and through the waters in some way or another. It says some through the water, some through the floods, some through the fire, but all through the blood. And all of us have been through the blood. So we find that uh, there's a provision made for God's people to be brought through trials, and God is the one that brings us through the trials. I want you to notice in the next several verses David's personal gratitude and testimony, and notice the I wills. You have it in verse uh, 2 and verse 13, 1 verse 15, 2 and verse 15 rather, and 1 and verse 16. Four, five, I wills. I will, I will, I will. Look at verse uh, 13. I will go into thy house with burnt offerings. Burnt offerings. What are burnt offerings? In Psalm 51, you remember uh, after David had confessed his sin, he says, I, uh, after everything was made right, he said he could offer burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Psalm 51, verse 19, I believe it is. So he could offer burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Burnt offerings were those things that were completely consumed and ascended up. This is one of the sweet savor offerings into the nostrils of God as well-pleasing. And so when we talk about burnt offerings, notice that David says, I will go into thy house with burnt offerings. In other words, I'm going to completely be consumed. I'm going to offer up completely to thee that which brings a sweet incense into thy presence. And then verse 13, he says, I will pay thee my vows. Notice that. Remember, we've had several instances in these Psalms where it says that we are to pay our vows to the Most High. Ecclesiastes 5 says, It's better that thou shouldest not vow than that thou shouldest vow and not pay. And it says, If you do vow, God is going to require it of you. And so when you make a promise to God, make sure you intend to keep it. But on the other hand, you don't have to promise anything. God doesn't expect you to promise anything. But if you do, if you take the liberty to do that, then He wants you to keep it. Don't don't let other people pressure you into saying, well, I'm going to promise God this. I'm going to promise God that. Or don't you just be so uh, uh, quick to say, I will do this and I will do that. Remember, they... Concerning Jesus, he said, uh, you know, some of them said, I want to be your disciple. I will go with you wherever you will. And he says, I want you to stop and consider this situation. He said, remember, foxes have holes, birds of dare have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. So when you make a decision to follow the Lord, you make sure you know what the cost is in whatever thing you're t- uh, dedicating to or, or promising to do. We have too many that promise and never pay. I will pay thee my vows, verse 14, 
which which my lips have uttered and my mouth has spoken when I was in trouble. See, a lot of times when people get in trouble, they make promises. Verse 15, I will offer unto thee burnt sacrifices of fatlings. The fatlings are the best of the flock. Remember that Israel sometimes offered the blind and the lame. In Malachi chapter 1 and verse 8, they offered anything they wanted to offer, and they thought they were making a sacrifice to God. And God says, He's not pleased with the blind and the lame and the hawk. He wants the firstlings of the flock, and He wants that which is without spot and without blemish. Remember that lamb that they were to pick out in Exodus chapter 12? It had to be a lamb that was without blemish and without spot. And it was thoroughly scrutinized and looked upon and inspected for four days. And then finally it was uh, offered as sacrifice. It was sacrificed. So Jesus was looked upon and inspected by devils and men and found to be without fault. And then he gave himself a perfect sacrifice on the cross of Calvary to redeem us to God with that perfect uh, acceptable sacrifice in the sight of God. I will offer thee burnt sacrifices of fatlings. That's the best of the flock. Now look at verse uh, the rest of verse 15. Uh, it says, I will offer bullocks uh, and goats. Uh, I will offer bullocks with goats. Bullocks with goats. This represents a twofold offering. Remember, Paul speaks to the Corinthians and says, You are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. In other words, a twofold. Bullocks and goats, the whole being. Everything should be dedicated. Paul said in Romans chapter 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And so he beseeches us on the basis of the mercies of God. If you go back in the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans, you'll find the mercies of God. And you'll find mercies of God beginning with the very first chapter. The gospel is preached to all the world, Jews and Gentiles. All are under condemnation in chapter 2. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God in chapter 3. Righteousness by faith in chapter 4. Therefore, being justified by faith in chapter 5, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 6 tells us that if we're, if we're surrendered to Christ, we should be baptized. Chapter 7 tells us about our old nature is still there and God O wretched man, Paul says that I am who shall deliver me from the body of this death. I thank God through my Lord Jesus Christ. And then in chapter 8, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Chapter 19 and 11 are chapters of mercy for the Jews, for Israel, and the final restoration of Israel. In chapter 12, Paul says, I beseech you therefore, because of all these mercies, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Look at verse 16. It says, Come and hear all ye that fear God, and I will declare what He hath done for my soul. Here begins David's personal testimony. He says, Come and hear all ye that fear God. He says, I want to tell you, I will declare what He hath done for my soul. Our own personal testimony is more effective than telling about someone else's personal testimony. Did you know that? You know why it is? Because someone may be in the same situation in a spiritual way that you have been in your life. 
oh, it's fine for someone that's been a, a drug addict or an alcoholic or uh, out here on Skid Row or whatever to be converted and be delivered and then tell other people that are in the same situation. But whatever situation, you, you may have been raised in a Christian home. You may have gone to Sunday school and at a certain time you trusted Jesus with your soul and with your salvation. And your testimony is just as great to other young people, to other people that you were that you were brought up right and you finally realized you needed to trust Jesus as your Savior and you, you followed the Lord in baptism. You've given your life in, in a church to, to the Lord and you've come to church and you tried to learn and study God's Word and learn about God. That's a good testimony. And sometimes we think that it has to be some outcast over here that's saved out of the, the drug addicts or whatever in order for him to have a testimony. I used to think if I just had a testimony like old brother Cecil Simmons, Dr. Cecil Simmons, came down and he preached one time. He's in Florida. He's converted alcoholic, you know. I mean, he was really down. Come tell him what all that happened to him, you know. And he was laying it down on the line. And I thought, well, you know, I was a young preacher at that time. I thought, you know, I never can be a preacher like that because I never did go through that. And I thought, well, thank God I didn't. I didn't have to go through that. He still called me to preach in spite of it. In spite of the fact that I wasn't an alcoholic, he called me to preach. In spite of the fact that I wasn't a, a drug addict. In spite of the fact that I wasn't wild and caroused around and went to prostitutes and this and that and the other. He still called me to preach. See, you don't have to do all those things for God to call you. And so a lot of people were under the impression that you had to have that kind of testimony to be a preacher. But I found out that, you know, whoever listens to God, and if He lays it upon your heart, He'll give you the calling that you need, and He'll give you the ability to do it. So anyway, I thank God that uh, He did call me. Um, so David gives his personal testimony. Notice what he says. He says, Come and hear... Hear all ye that fear God, and I will declare what He hath done for my soul. See, you don't have to tell what He did for someone else's soul. What He has done for my soul. I cried unto Him with my mouth, and He was extolled with my tongue. He says, I called upon God. His own personal uh, testimony. Look at verse 18 now. Here's things that hinder our prayers. It says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. This is a good lesson for us to learn, isn't it? If I regard iniquity in my heart, it says, the Lord, you know, this might hear me. No, the Lord will not hear me. You cannot hide your sins from God. You can pray day and night, and if you still harbor that sin and will not confess it to God, you just as well quit praying until you are at the moment of time that you're willing to say, God, this is I've done wrong. And that this iniquity is brought before you. You say, preacher, you mean you're telling me not to pray? No, I'm telling you to confess your sin. That's what I'm telling you to do. The Bible says, He that covereth his sin shall not prosper. He that confesseth and forsaketh him shall have mercy. You have to do that. Just like we taught you the lesson about forgiving. You have to have a forgiving spirit for your brother and for your fellow man. Remember, Jesus says, When you stand praying, Father, forgive if you forgive not your brother of his trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you of your trespasses. So what does it amount to? It amounts to this first, that you must be willing to forgive before you ask God to forgive you. You must be willing to do that. And then God will bring about the forgiving. So things that hinder our prayers. 
And James chapter 4, let me read this for you in the book of James. Uh, I think it's chapter 4, if I can find it. In verse 3 it says, You ask and you receive not. James says, You ask and you you do not receive. You receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lust. See, sometimes we just want our way. And God says, no, I'm not going to let you have your way if you ask for that which is right and in the will of God and you need this and, you know, it's, it's a good thing for you. But if you're asking just for something lustful or something that you want to consume upon your own lust, it's like a fellow says, well, you know, the Bible says in the Psalms and in the Proverbs that uh, call upon the Lord, ask of God, and He'll give you the desires of thy heart. He will. But before that, it qualifies it and tells us that we need to walk in His ways and do His will. So, the desire of our heart should be the desire of His heart, and it shouldn't be our selfish lusts. So, in other words, I can't just get up and say, well, you know, uh, the desire of my heart is, I want a million dollars. God say, you're not going to get it. He'd probably tell every one of us that. I don't think any of you uh, have uh, uh, any idea that if you pray for a million, you get it right away. And you know you have to believe, don't you? It says you have to ask in faith. Well, if you didn't believe you was going to get it, you probably wouldn't anyway. And if you did believe it and you asked it on your own lust, you still wouldn't get it. See, there's a whole lot of things that will hinder your prayer. You have to take all of God's Word into consideration. Some people just pick and choose and they take one little old thing here. Well, you know, God said right there, He'll give me the delights of my heart. Yeah, what is the delight of your heart and what did He do to qualify that? How does it apply to you? Someone says, God said He'd supply all my need. Where did He say that? Philippians 4.19 says, Paul said to the Philippians, You have ministered unto my necessities. And when I was without, he says, No church communicated unto me. He's talking about the church of Philippi communicating unto his missionary efforts. And he says, No church, no church as concerning giving and receiving, but you only. And he says, but my God, what's he going to do? Shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory. Because you have given and you've supported the mission work. You, they supported the Apostle Paul. He says, God's going to bless you, Paul. So you see, there's some qualifying terms to these blessings that we think we can just grab hold of and say, oh, that's mine. Well, it's yours if you meet the conditions. It is. But you better make sure you meet the conditions. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Verse 19, But verily God hath heard me, he hath attended to the, to the voice of my prayer. David says God has. God will pay attention to our prayer if it comes from an honest heart. Verily God hath heard me. So that means simply that David had uh, confessed his sins, that he had not regarded iniquity in his heart. Remember Psalm 51 where he made this great confession. He said, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Remember in that psalm he also said uh, uh, concerning against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. Now listen, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and clear when thou judgest. He knew that he had to judge his own sins and he knew that God was just in bringing his judgment. And then he prayed for forgiveness and cleansing. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. What do you mean? The blood has to be applied. 
hyssop, they took the hyssop and dipped it in the basin of blood and applied it to a little in the side post of the door, and the blood is applied, the hyssop of faith, you and I apply that, and God cleanses us. And we believe it because He's made the provision. It's of His providing. But verily God hath heard me. Why hath God heard him? Because he met the conditions. He hath attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God which hath not turned away uh, my prayer, nor his mercy from me. Well, that takes care of the, uh, the uh, 66th Psalm. Let's look at Psalm 67. This is a millennial psalm. And by the way, we just take chapter by chapter and verse by verse and go as far as we can with each one. So look at this millennial psalm. And by the way, this psalm will fully be realized during the millennial reign of Christ. There's so many things here that will not be realized until then. But we'll still take it verse by verse and try to expound it to you. Look in verse 1. It says, God be merciful unto us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. Selah. A prayer for God to be merciful. A prayer for God's blessings to be there. For God's face to shine upon us. Our first and greatest need is mercy. The best of the saints and the worst of sinners need God's mercy. The Bible says there's not a just man upon earth that doeth good and sinneth not. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says uh, the publican cried and says, God be merciful to me a sinner. Spiritual blessings come to us and they follow mercy. It says, God be merciful unto us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. Selah. What about God's spiritual blessings? In the New Testament, Paul says grace and mercy. And he says grace and peace. But then in 1 Timothy 1 verse 2, he says grace, mercy, and peace. Someone might say, I want God's mercy. Well, you can only have it because of his grace. And you can only have peace as a result of both of them. God has it in perfect order. Grace, mercy, and peace. Because of His grace, He extends His mercy, and therefore we have peace with God. And peace comes. And then notice the shining of His face. We're made conscious of His blessings by the shining of His face. Remember, sin hides His face from us. It says in Isaiah 59, verse 2, Your iniquities have separated between uh, you and your God. Listen, Psalm... I'm not Psalm, but did I say Psalm is Isaiah 59? I think I said Isaiah 59 verse 2. It says, But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid His face from you that He will not hear. Your sins have hid His face from you. So we don't want God's face to be hidden from us. The presence of His shining face is... Our Psalm says in verse 1, Always hold your place where we're studying. In verse 1 it says... And cause His face to shine upon us. The presence of His shining face uh, indicates his, that we're made conscious of His blessings by His shining face. Remember the old priestly blessing in, in uh, the book of Numbers chapter... Let me get it for you. Chapter uh, <clears throat> 6 and verse 24 through 26. And many of the old preachers would quote this, and we should all know it by heart. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make His face to shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. Notice gracious comes. The Lord lift up His countenance upon thee and give thee peace. This is the priestly blessing on the people in the Old Testament. 
and it wealthest many of us. By the shine, make his face to shine upon thee and give thee peace. Look in our psalm again, verse 2. That thy way may be known upon the earth, thy saving health among all nations. Thy way may be known upon all the earth. In other words, universal praise is due to him. And universal salvation. Look, that thy way may be known upon the earth, thy saving health among all nations. Universal salvation is predicted. Now, does that mean that everybody's going to be saved and none lost? No, it's talking about a time when the Lord will save and save all nations. Let me give you a reference. In Acts 15, look at this. Acts 15, verse uh, 15, it says, And to this agree the words of the prophets, as it is written, After this I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David which has fallen down, and I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up, and as far as Israel was concerned, everything would be restored. And verse 17 says, That the residue of men might seek after the Lord, and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things. So there's going to be a time that even though the Jews are saved out of the tribulation, and the tabernacle is restored, and God's blessings upon the nation, that all... The blessings will reach out to all nations and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called. Back in our psalm, verse 3, let, let the people praise thee, O God. Let all the people praise thee. Look at that. Let the people, let all the people praise thee. So universal praise is due to him and will be given to him during the millennium. If you want Isaiah chapter 2, it's a wonderful passage on the millennium. Isaiah 2. Verse 2 says, And shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountain, shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations, see that, shall flow unto it. And many people shall go and say, Come ye and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. And out of, the, out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge among the nations, and look, and shall rebuke many people, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. And nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. That'd be the answer for Bosnia and Herzegovina and all those places today, wouldn't it? And around the world where there's fighting and wars and killing. That'd be the answer. And that answer will only come when the Lord comes. The UN is already proven, and NATO and all the various high organizations have proved to be lions without any teeth. They can't do anything, they're helpless. They go over there to keep peace, and there's no peace to keep. They have to make it before you can keep it. You see, the Lord made peace for us. And having made peace by the blood of His cross, Colossians 1.20, right? And having made peace, so after He made it, He gave us peace. And He says, therefore, Romans 5.1, being justified by faith, Romans 4, the last two verses, says He was delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification. And Romans 5.1 says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. We have the peace that He made because we believe it and we accept it by faith. You see, you have to believe in Christ's death and resurrection to have peace with God. And to have the substituted righteousness, imputed righteousness, Romans chapter 4, the last chapter, last part, 
The whole chapter is good for imputation of righteousness. It says Abraham believed God and it was reckoned or accounted, imputed to him for righteousness. All mean the same thing. It was reckoned. God reckoned him righteous. He counted him as righteous. He imputed him to him righteousness. That's Romans 4. The whole chapter. David also. Forgiveness of sins. Early part of it. But you'll find that in 5.1 he says, Therefore, that connects us with that fourth chapter. It connects us with the third chapter, we're sinners. It connects us with the second chapter, where we're all judged. It connects us with the first chapter, where we're all wicked. It connects us with the first chapter, where there's the gospel. And in Romans 5, 1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we're talking about peace, aren't we? And peace is not found just because uh, some men think that they can go over with arms and weapons and tanks and guns and that, that doesn't do it. And this praise, this blessing will only come when the swords are beaten into plowshares and the spears into pruning hooks and nations shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. No more military schools, no more military bases, training. You won't have to have them. We're not going to fight then. Talking about the millennium. It connects us with Revelation chapter 20 where we have a peaceful reign, a thousand year reign of peace and righteousness with the Lord. I like that, don't you? A thousand years. It'll be something that this world has never known since the days of Adam. Adam and Eve had peace there in the garden for a very short while till they sinned against God and He put them in the paradise of God and in a place of every convenience and the best of circumstances and all the blessed of, best of surroundings, and yet they sinned against God and broke that peace and fellowship. And, and then our federal head, Adam, of the whole human race, has caused that uh, poison of sin to pass through all of us and into all of us. And as a result, we don't have any peace. And we don't have any... We don't have... Uh, I'm talking about physically and materially. We have peace in our heart because of the new birth cause of peace with God. But we don't have it in the world. We don't have it in our communities. Look at the, even in a small community. Look at all the bickering that's always going on. Always someone fighting against somebody else, right? James says, From whence cometh wars and fightings among you? Come they not from your own lust which war in your members? Where do they come from? He says they come from inside man. They come from the inside. Jesus from, says, From out of the heart of man cometh forth murders, adulteries, fornication, thefts. Out of what? The heart of man. It doesn't say it comes out here and enters into the heart of man. It's out of the heart of man that these things come. And until God changes hearts and lives, nothing's going to be changed. We hear all these do-good uh, things all over the country and social programs and boy, if we'll just give people plenty and give them a, a house to live in and food on the table and Shelter over the head and clothes on their back. Or they'll do good and they won't go out here and, and get on drugs or alcohol. They won't commit any crimes. They'll be just a wonderful society. Not so. It won't happen. Because men are evil. And men are sinful. In the sight of God. And that's not the answer, is it? The answer is the Lord. The Lord Himself. Look here. It says they shall... Beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks, and nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. It says, O house of Jacob, come ye and let us walk in the light of the Lord. Therefore thou hast forsaken uh, thy people and the house of Jacob, because they have re- 
uh, replenished from the east and are soothsayers like the Philistines, and they please themselves and the children of strangers. Listen, all that indicates adulterous and uh, terrible homosexual, awful sins with various people. Look at verse 7. Their land also is full of silver and gold, and there is there, and neither is there any end of their treasures. Their land is also full of horses, neither is there any end of their chariots. They talk about the strength, you know, in the Old Testament. It says, Their land also is full of idols. They worship the work of their own hands, that which their own fingers have made. And it tells of the terrible things that are going to happen because of sin. But in Isaiah 11, turn to Isaiah 11, we'll get some more about the millennium. And we won't read the whole thing, but let's pick up with verse uh, 5. Speaking of Christ, it says, Righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, Isaiah 11, verse 5, and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. The wolf eats the lamb now, doesn't he? And the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling to, together, and a little child shall lead them. And it says, And the cow and the bear shall feed, their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. Now he eats the ox, right? But he shall eat straw like the ox. Look in verse 8. And the sucking child shall play on the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the cockatrice den, the adder's den, the serpent, snakes. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mount, mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord. That's the millennium. Back in our psalm, 67, verse 4. Universal joy and singing will follow. It says, O let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for thou shalt judge the people righteously and govern the nations upon uh, earth. Selah. Look at this. What do you have? You have universal joy and singing that will follow these things that we've been speaking about. And then you have there will be a universal judge. It says, For thou shalt judge the people righteously, and he will judge righteously. And govern. That means he's going to govern and lead the nations upon the earth. Talk about a real leadership. We won't have to have the politicians and the elections we have now. We'll have one good king and governor and ruler. That'll be the Lord himself. And nothing will be wrong with it. You can't find any fault with it. There won't be any people complaining here and there that it's not right because it will be right. Can you anticipate a time that everything will be right on the earth as well as all of us being happy in the presence of God? That's going to happen. That's going to happen. That's what the Lord has promised. That there will be a reign of peace and righteousness. And I'm not talking about eternity here. I'm talking about a thousand year, a millennium. But there will be an eternity of peace and righteousness. But right now, we're, our subject in view is, is a millennium, 20th chapter of the book of Revelation, where all these blessings will be ours. We don't know what it would be like to be without sin. We don't know what it would be like to be without arguments or differences or, or uh, people complaining or about someone 
trying to do the other one in. Look up here in Colorado just a little bit ago. Maybe you heard it on the news. These two young men, they've been making their ways from Santa Fe on up. Finally, they had a family hostage up in uh, Rifle, Colorado. And uh, uh, the hostages escaped, or they let them out or whatever. And then there's a colored guy, colored young man, and another one, I think he's Hispanic. And this colored boy, I think he was about 18, 20 years old. Another one about almost the same age, not quite as old. Come out and he shot himself right in front of the cops, committed suicide. And they finally, the SWAT team has surrounded the house. They're trying to get the other one out. Just crime. Just They just escaped from some uh, uh, maximum security prison for boys. And they got all these. They made their rounds over the last week or two, a few days. I don't know how long they've been out. But see, you won't have those things. You won't have those things. Because... It says, the knowledge of the Lord shall cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. When the knowledge of God is in someone's heart and the ways of God and the will of God is wrought in someone's heart, he won't want to do those things. There won't be any cause to do them. There won't be any reason. There won't be any need. There won't be any feeling about doing them. We'll be changed. We'll be uh, in the Lord's presence. It'll be good, folks. It'll be good. It won't be like it is now. And that's the hope of every child of God, of every Christian. To change, we'll finish this psalm. Let's go on. It says in verse 4, He's going to sing for joy. Oh, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. All nations. For thou shalt judge the people righteously and govern. The word govern means to lead the nations upon earth. We'll have a perfect leader. We won't have to be led and sidetracked. There won't be the left and the right that we have today or the in-between. It says, Let... Let the people praise thee, O God. Let all the people praise thee. This is a reiteration of verse 3. And verse 6 says, Then shall the earth yield her increase, look, fruitfulness, and God, even, even our own God, shall bless us. Our own God. He'll be personal to us and to everyone that will say our own God. You know, David said, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want and then the last verse says, God shall bless us and all the ends of the earth shall fear Him. God shall bless us. There will be universal blessings. There will be universal plenty and prosperity for all. Can you look for a time for that? Zechariah 14, I'll read these verses and, and then close. Zechariah 14, let's read verses 16 through 21. It says, And it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. And it shall be that whoso will not come up of all the families of the earth unto Jerusalem to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, even upon them uh, shall be no rain. And if the family of Egypt go not up and come not, that, that have no rain. There shall be the plague wherewith the Lord will smite the heathen that come not up to keep the feast of the tabernacles. This shall be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all nations that come not up to keep the feast of the tabernacles. In that day there shall be upon the bells of the horses holiness unto the Lord. Look how it's capitalized. And the pots in the Lord's house shall be like... uh, In the Lord's house shall be like the bowls before the altar. Yea, every pot in Jerusalem and in Judah shall... Uh, be holiness unto the Lord of hosts and all they that sacrifice and shall come and take of them and see therein and in that day there shall be no more the Canaanite in the house of the Lord of hosts 
the enemy, the element of destruction, the enemies of God's people will forever cease to be. It won't be there. God's blessings will be in the future. So we'll pick up in our next psalm, Psalm uh, 68, in our next lesson, this Sunday evening at 6 o'clock. Thank you for your patience.